Welcome to Resource on the Go, a podcast from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center on understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual abuse and assaults. I'm Laura Palumbo, and I'm the Communications Director at NSVRC. On today's episode, we're learning about the importance of media literacy in the shifting landscape during COVID-19 and how helping our communities think critically about the media that saturates us can help prevent sexual violence. Today, I am joined by Tanji Reese, founder of 1124, a program dedicated to reimagining prevention through a lens of liberation and community. Tanji draws from years of experience in youth serving and gender-based violence work to support prevention education programs serving young people of color and enhancing critical media literacy. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Do you want to start out by telling us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, sure. Yeah. So again, I'm Tanji, and I like to describe myself as a preventionist. And for me, that means that I like to think about the root causes and figure out new and creative ways to engage with people so that we can we can prevent gender-based violence. Uh, so a lot of my work has been around community education. I actually started off in this movement as a peer educator, not really realizing it when I was in high school, but it was a part of our acting class. We did a traveling play around dating abuse and sexual abuse. So I spent some time uh, being a part of that play, but also learning and uh, was a local community educator um, here right outside of Detroit, where I'm from. And I, I did that for some time. And um, spent some time doing some national community organizing and uh, most recently worked with Just Attention International, doing work with folks who are behind bars who've been sexually assaulted. So I, um, yeah, and I'm excited to be here too. And one of the things that has grown out of the work that I've done and, and really through um, my master's program is a love for media literacy and wanting to share that awareness of how important media literacy is. Great, and um, it'd be awesome if you could help us to start out with the basics of understanding what is critical media literacy. So critical media literacy is the ability to uh, to understand, access, evaluate, analyze, um, and create media, and and do that in a way that you're uh, doing activism work. So it's looking at media and understanding how media impacts us as people, um, what the purpose of media is, who controls the media, and also um, how you can use media for good and how you can use that for education, but also um, creating media that is equitable and that is uh, there to support everyone. And this seems like a really important topic right now because folks are really experiencing an unprecedented amount of screen time. Um, and using technology in various ways. It seems like ever since um, there was the uh, the shutdown after the, uh, the start of the pandemic that, um, that media has become more and more a part of everyone's daily life. Yeah, it's true. Um, a lot of us are at home. Most of us are at home and working from home and not only just uh, us as adults, but young people too are doing school from home. So that means that all of us are getting a lot more screen time and in addition to that, even to get understanding of what's happening in, in the news and what's happening um, even with the pandemic, a lot of us rely on news sources. We watch 
you know, I know when the pandemic first happened and we start first started going to shut down, I was watching CNN every day um, and it kind of stayed on TV. And so I know that was the reality for a lot of folks. Um, and, and, you know, with media, media is not just the news either, right? It's, it can be radio stations and social media. And social media really is the main news source for young people. Uh, so we um, are constantly getting getting messages from those news sources, but also a lot of us are spending time like watching Netflix and <laughs> watching streaming channels and uh, in, in front of our screens, uh, just because um, you know it's not it's not safe to go outside. Yeah, I think it's um, really helpful how you you mentioned that that media is all of these different formats now. It's the news that we consume. It's social media. Um, it's you know the um, uh, all of all of the social media apps on our our phone and all the different ways that we engage with them. And it feels more and more like media is just really enmeshed with our lives. Like all of these forms of um, of media are just really a part of the fabric of our daily lives. And so it can be, you know, I think very common for people to not necessarily be in the framework of thinking that, oh, I'm consuming media right now. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's really anything that is created, you know? So all forms of even music is a form a form of media too. So um, can you help listeners who may be new to understanding critical media literacy um, and the role it plays in preventing sexual violence understand more about that uh, that framework? Yeah, so um, like I mentioned before, media is, uh, media critical media literacy is the ability to understand access to media, evaluating media, analyzing, creating media and doing things to act. Um, and how it fits into preventing sexual violence is sometimes we, um, I, I think specifically about like news stories, right? A lot of times when folks who are um, out in the world, right, and not in this movement, when they hear about sexual violence, a lot of times it comes from news stories. And I think about things like headlines that don't always give the correct picture of what happens. For example, um, Centoya Brown, when uh, we started to learn more about her case, some news sources were saying that they're calling her an adult, even though she was trafficked as a teenager. Um, in the news sources too, a lot of it was blaming her uh, because of, and, and not having accountability for the person that trafficked her. Uh, we saw even more recently too with Crystal Kaiser, who was um, a young person in Wisconsin who was also trafficked um, and kills her, her abuser. And a lot of, a lot of the media sources were saying the same things. They were calling her an adult. So a lot of those messages that those gender social, uh, gender stereotype messages that we, we know that are acting to help create rape culture, uh, the media can play a part in that too, with things like headlines. And not only that too, uh, I think about TV shows and movies that promote unhealthy relationships for young people that might seem like they're normal. Um, for example, I like to use, um, with, with sexual violence prevention work, I like to use TV shows, like um, the show on my block, that's on Netflix, that shows a group of you know, like young, young Latinx kids that are going through relationships and understanding about themselves. Um, but I also like to use music as well, because even what we, like I said, music is a part of, of, of media literacy. 
and what we hear sometimes in songs can send these harmful messages. Um, and even the amount of media that we consume, right? If we if we tie that to to, to the health part of it, um, it's not healthy to consume that that amount of media, but it also can uh, shift the perspective of what reality actually is. Um, and so these learning about media literacy and young people's ability to be able to be critical about media can enable them to see those TV shows, to listen to those songs, look at those headlines and be able to decipher things for themselves and know, wait, that is not giving accurate information. That is promoting a stereotype that is contributing to rape culture. Um, and it makes them a lot more, uh, makes them investigators It makes them more curious. And it also helps them not to like, you can't unsee things after you start to understand media literacy, it's kind of hard to back away from it. And what I found is that bringing the world really into the work that we do and bringing pop culture into the work that we do makes it more relevant. And it, it allows us to create that dialogue with young people because it's something that is, is usually accessible and it's something that most young people can relate to. That's really helpful. Um, and it sounds like in addition to the ways that um, a media literacy framework can just draw connections to um, media, how it's talking about relationships and how it's talking about gender um, and how uh, how different um, norms or patterns are being framed, it, it's, it seems like it's also a really strong avenue to, to get people thinking about equity and, um, and, and whether it be health equity or the representation of, um, of race, uh, age, gender identity, sexual orientation. It seems like that all kind of layers in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it does. You know, and one of the things I've been exploring a lot recently, really since the pandemic uh, came came about is um, young people of color in media literacy and how young people of color are represented in the media and some of the stereotypes that are there, but also um, even thinking about like, as far as like, even uh, like wealth equity, like wealth equity, thinking about access to technology. Mm -hmm. um, what has happened, I've, I've what um, I've talked to people about too is uh, since a lot of us are moving from being in classrooms or being out in the community, engaging young people, a lot of that has had to happen like with them in their homes. But what about the young people that don't have access to internet in their home or don't have access to computers or, um, or have to share you know, with family members? So a big part of critical media literacy too is understanding who has access to media in your community access to technology who is able um, to have that and that access also comes up with uh, like I mentioned representation on me in, in the media right um, and thinking about who young people are seeing on television if they look like them if they can relate to them um, and that is something that I think preventionists can do uh, for their own work but also to teach other young people and talk to young people about um, about some of these these disparities that are there that often kind of get overlooked. And that really um, is a great lead into this next question, which is um, when you think about the pandemic um, in all that it's uh, that's brought to the forefront and revealed, um, is, uh, what do you think it has revealed in terms of the importance of critical media literacy? Um, well, I definitely think that it has uh, revealed that a lot of young people don't have access to technology <laughs> and, and, and the technology that young people have access to is limited. 
um, that uh, this, even even the amount of technology that young people are consuming right now can be overwhelming. Um, and also to uh, just knowing that we're spending so much time in front of our, our screens. And I think the pandemic is showing what uh, alternatives that we have and how how the world is, how our, like, well, I can just say our country, how things are kind of moving forward to us. I don't, I don't see us really being out of this technology-based lifestyle for some time. Um, and that means that we have to draw from other examples. So we have to be more creative about using digital means for education. Um, and I think too, just the impact of like a false information. Uh, right now, um, even information about like vaccines right now that's happening or uh, how like how, you know, information that's on social media that's inaccurate about, um, about coronavirus, about the pandemic in general. Um, even being able to like recognize that, you know, a lot of media is targeted towards demographics and areas. Um, so I think we've seen during this pandemic, a lot of us move into this digital space. That means a lot more things are being created, but a lot more people are getting these messages um, and these messages that are, are often normalized and are harmful. Uh, are coming to us even more because they're spending so much more time in front of the screen. And um, you've already talked about this a little bit, but how how is that, um, how are all these dynamics um, influencing your work and how do you find your work shifting um, in light of the pandemic? Yeah, so like I men mentioned, a lot more video calls, a lot more uh, doing things over the screen. And, um, you know, and with that, uh, it's, it's an understanding that like it's, it's a difference of going to a conference or going to an in-person engagement and you're all in one space and you're sharing that space together and you know uh, what is around you in that space. So it can be easy to forget that people have lives outside of whatever is going on in the room that you're in. Uh, but I know now we're getting really personal with each other. Um, you know, folks are finding whatever space that they can you know, to, to be around. And what I found is that it, it's made me a lot more flexible um, with if, if people do want to be, <laughs> you know, face-to-face -face and, or if they want to, you know, do something that is not face-to-face -face or just have a phone call or just an email. So that has shifted. It also um, has, for me, shifted to doing a lot more uh, online trainings and adjusting that, that style of style of work and that style of, of offering trainings um an in-person training is way different when you're able to you know have like that connection with folks you're able to have less distractions you can uh have actual physical space you know with each other um and now it's, it's not the case uh you know it's it's not it and especially if you have other things mm -hmm. that are happening around you it can be really distracting uh so what I, how it shifted and adjusted for me is, is honestly being a lot more kind and gentle with my own self um, and a lot more understanding with the folks that are, that I'm working with too. Um, and finding creative ways to use things like Zoom <laughs> has, has, has shifted it. So uh, knowing like I use the whiteboard option or I'll use the annotate option to take notes. So it gives the idea if people were writing on a whiteboard, if we were in person, um, and, and making shifts that way, but also um, 
it's shifted with me and adjusted uh, with me understanding outreach in a different way. And honestly, like uh, working as a remote, I've, I've worked remote probably for the last maybe four years. I've had a lot of remote like remote jobs and it's required me to, to, I was thinking about these things before and how and engaging with young people um, with what with the work I did at Break the Cycle, a lot of our organizing work was with young people across the country, and that meant that we had to be on video chat, or we had to be um, use social media or find other creative ways to engage young people because we were in schools where you know it's easy to access young people. So that for me has been a shift and a change to just becoming more creative on social media and more engaging and finding new ways to meet young people where they are. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of ways that um, these uh, the the uh, evolution to being more flexible um, and to using technology more also makes work uh, our work more accessible to to people that might not have been able to um, be included in the past. Are there some ways that you feel like you um, will continue to even you know in even if um, it's not as necessary in the future? Ways that you kind of don't want to go back to doing things the way you've done them before. Um, yeah, I think, uh, some ways that I won't go back to, I think are just the expectations of participation. Um, because sometimes when doing, you know, doing like prevention education work, um, we can have this expectation of participation, an expectation of people having our undivided, we having people's undivided attention. And I know now that that is not a reality and that doesn't mean that a person didn't get things from it, um, but it just means that other things are happening. So just being, uh, showing more grace in that way, I think is, um, and also too, um, in addition to like expectations of, of folks that I'm working with, I think even just, I don't think I will go back to the same way of even engaging with people um and, and and engaging with like uh with fo- with folks too I think I've, I found myself more commonly um asking questions about how people are doing it and, and and that's something that I didn't always do it's kind of like okay let's just jump right into it so I think now just um saving space and opportunity for folks to process whatever they need to process and being more flexible uh with that too because um everyone's needs are different right now and uh, the best thing that we can do is make things easier for each other. Yeah, it really brings in this whole other level of consciousness of the whole person that you're interacting with in any sort of context of all the, the ways that their life may be. Um, yeah, it may be challenging for them in any particular moment. And I think for myself too, right? I think, um, and I say that for myself, but I say it for other folks that do, you know, that that advocates that do this work too. I think I won't. I, another thing I won't do is is not be as hard on myself either and allow myself that same grace as well. That's great. And in terms of like some takeaways that we can give to our listeners, are there some things that um, you think our listeners can do right now to enhance health equity in their work? Um, so I think right now is is honestly understanding who has access to technology in their own communities. Um, uh, and and also to think about who is missing. So if you're doing uh, a group or if you're doing a Zoom call or you're having um, an opportunity to engage with people, 
Think about who is missing. Think about who maybe is not able to be a part of that because they don't have quiet space. They don't have, you know, a laptop in their home or computer in the home that's free to use. Um, people who, you know, are, are, or don't have, don't have the, that same access that I think that is something that folks can do. But also um, this is a time too, to think about what is happening within your own communities in general. Uh, what are like, organizations that need help and support right now um, that may be not super related to sexual violence work, but they're still serving the same people that you're serving. So, um, you know, I think thinking about that, thinking about where the need is, uh, because, you know, wherever you have, there's a need, there's, you're going to find people, you're going to find, understand people a lot better. Uh, so I think that those are something people, some things that folks can do right now. Um, and even in using, like media literacy, for example, like I said, is also creating media and creating media is sharing a post on social media. So if you have access to resources or you see, you know, someone is in need or you see someone, um, you know, is hosting an event that might be interesting or hosting something, just share, you know, share things on social media, uh, be, you know, build new social media partnerships and friendships with folks. And I think that will allow us to maintain the impact that we've been able to, that we are able to maintain when we were in person and had more access to, to people, especially young people. Thanks so much. And is there any takeaways to enhance um, health equity um, for the long-term that you think would be good to share with our listeners? Yeah, I would say long-term plan on incorporating media literacy in a part of your work, um, especially if you're a person that does prevention work or advocacy, um, plan on, you know, adding that as a part of it, because uh, we're moving more and more to like technology advancement. And I think more things will become digital. So um, just try to be ahead of the curve. And a big, a first step could be understanding media literacy for yourself, but also incorporating that in a part of all your work that you do. Well, thank you so much for all of um, these really helpful insights and tips. Is there anything before we wrap up that you would like to share um, with our listeners that we didn't get a chance to talk about yet? Um, I would say um, if, if it's okay just to share resources that, uh, that I have available through 1124, um, I have a, a, a page just for resources for preventionists and on there it includes books uh a spotify playlist of songs that can be used for music literacy and also an activity um so i would say though that's that is a resource that is there it also has a video on there uh of a webinar i did over the summer about media literacy and young people of color that's a, that's available um because like i said there's there's so much content being consumed right now by young people and all of a lot of us are in front of our screens way more often especially with winter time coming a lot of the people will be in the house even more and a lot of times when we're in the house we watch tv we listen to music and we engage in this type of media so um that awareness of what young people are watching and what people are listening to is so important even if you don't listen to it for your own enjoyment just being aware of what young people are are are, are consuming um, I think is vital and is important. Uh, and like I said, again, just teaching them uh, what, what to be aware of, uh, letting them know like about representation and also encouraging them to create their own media.
is, is another you know, opportunity I think that folks can use uh, while we're here at home during this time. That's so helpful. And we can include um, some links to 1124 and uh, the resources that you've uh, so generously shared that none, no, no listener has to go um, dive into learning more about media literacy without some great tools. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that. And I also just want to thank you um, because I think that you've given me some great food for thought as, um, as a new parent. I have uh, a one-year-old who's sleeping right now. He's taking a nap and it just really, um, it, it makes me think about uh, what it also means for, for parents who want to, to keep close connections with the, the young people in their life and their own children and what it means to be conscious of um, the media environment that that uh, is um, is uh, you know prominent in their in their world. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. And that and 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 that's so true too. One thing I did, um, I'm actually sending them out today. This month, I did a book giveaway. So um, I have folks just share and like it, share a post on Instagram and tag folks and like the post. Uh, and I had three winners, and I'm sending them three children's books. Uh, that have to do with identity affirmation. So affirming identity, but also gender um, and also this, this positive self-image and self-confidence. So uh, those are getting sent out today and I'm really excited. And um, I will be doing more book giveaways too uh, with children's books and young adult books that promote um, identity affirmation, healthy relationships um, and personal agency. That's wonderful. And those are such great resources because I can say, um, as as a parent, that there's some things that um, that you you that that probably just weren't you know weren't weren't messages you heard enough when you were a kid. So they're great for for both children, but also for the parents who are reading along too to be able to to see um, how uh, how much um, how much uh, creativity and reimagining there is um, of of uh, the world right now that is really affirming um, uh, you know affirming. Uh, a, a, um, a a broader audience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So well, thank true. you so much again for joining us, Tanji. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resource on the Go. For more resources and information about preventing sexual assault, visit our website at nsvrc.org. You can also get in touch with us by emailing resources at nsvrc.org.